For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Romans chapter 5, verse 10. This is the Essential Bible Studies podcast. My name is Tim Young. And my name is Jesse Adair. Jesse, it's great to have you back on the program. We uh, enjoyed last season having you here. I was just thinking this is kind of a little bit of an extension about what we were talking about last year. So we were talking about Genesis 3, verse 15, right? Yeah, I believe so. Going all the way back to Genesis, and now we come into maybe a little bit more application as it pertains to ourselves yeah. with passages that we're going to be looking at. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this conversation with you just to see your viewpoint on this. And what we're going to be talking about is enmity with God or being enemies with God. That's why I kind of link it back to Genesis 3, verse 15. But also this idea of peace with God, how we're to be reconciled with God to find this peace. Now, there's a lot of people out there looking for peace, uh, and they're in a lot of turmoil. Uh, A lot of times they have conversations. I remember one conversation with a fellow. He says, oh, I find peace with God when I'm hunting. (laughs) What? And what he meant by that, I guess, was he was just out in nature, and it was all quiet and serene, and that's what he felt having peace with God was all about. I don't know. I guess when a deer came in the scene, all that would be gone. He would blow the animal away. (laughs) There's a lot of ideas out there, people kind of searching different ways like yoga, meditation, and all these kind of ways that people are trying to find peace. But they're, they're trying to find peace within themselves or they're trying to find peace with God, but they're struggling with that. Well, the scriptures talk about how to have true peace with God. And it doesn't have anything to do with the externals around us. Uh, Whether you're in the city or in the countryside, it shouldn't matter. Whether you're in a prison and you're in the stocks, you can still have peace with God. It doesn't matter what our situation is, right? Yeah, and for some characters in the Bible, that was actually quite literal. Yeah. They would have been in prison, and they would have been in a dire situation by the world standards, but had it not been for the peace they had with God, uh, they might not have been able to sort of persevere and carry on. Yeah. So it certainly is a driving force too. Yeah. Maybe more than the gentleman who's hunting <laughs> uh, when he gets back into the routine of life and anxious moments come that might not serve him so well. Okay, we're going to start here in our key verse, which is Romans chapter 5. And I'm just going to read verses 8 through 10. And this is really a follow-up to our last podcast, because in our last podcast, we were really dealing with Romans chapter 3 and what it means to be justified by faith. And Paul here is talking in Romans, he's really talking about the reconciliation with God and what the death and the resurrection of Christ, his sacrifice, really does for us. And it's this Romans chapter 5, and I'll start at verse 8, and I just love this section. It says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. I just wanted to focus in on that verse 10. It says, while we were enemies... I remember when I first was studying this, and that word enemies kind of really struck me because 
I think when I was a young man, I never really thought of myself as being an enemy with God. And I looked up this word enemy, and it's a Greek word, ekthros, it's uh, the Strong's 2190, but it really means to be hateful or odious or hostile, to be a foe. And it has a connections with being an adversary. So it's a really strong word. And I think early in my life, I don't know if I really clued into that thinking that I was hostile to God. I felt I was living a good life, but you know, you party every once in a while and you go see a bunch of movies and those kind of things. And I guess what Paul is saying here, though, really what causes that enmity, it's really, it's really our sins. In verse 8, it says there, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So it's kind of getting our heads wrapped around why we'd be enemies with God and what, what he sees, because that's the important part, right? If we're trying to find this reconciliation, this peace with God, we have to start there. And, you know, I don't know if you ever think about this in verse 10, when it says that when we were enemies, I wonder if you ever thought that God wasn't our enemy. Right. That's because uh, when you think about all the synonyms or the, the significance of what an enemy implies, what they've done, we've done all those things to mm-hmm. God, but it's not to say that he's done them to us, but something on our own volition, our own actions, our own mindset, uh, which we'll get into, we have put ourselves in a position where we now have been counted an enemy of God. I think that shows in verse 8 when it says God shows his love for us. So God has commanded us to love our enemies, and he shows that so terrifically in his reaching out to us while we're sinners, while we're enemies. He loves us, and he's providing this means of being reconciled to him through his son. But I guess it's this whole idea, I still kind of go back to thinking about, we kind of associate sins with things that we do. But it really goes more into our desires. What would you say to that? Well, it's certainly very true that we can have actions, which probably would be the maybe our primary focus. You know, the law, speaking about the law, and what it was trying to point out was there's these various actions that you can commit. And that would sort of allow you to identify what those are sinful actions. And then in the New Testament, Jesus sort of lifts the mind to think, well, you can actually commit sin in your mind. Mm-hmm. And take, for example, just a verse before Romans 5, 8 and verse 7, there's this sequence of the types of individuals that someone would lay down their life for. So in verse 7, you have a righteous man. And also in verse 7, you have a good man. So it's a bit of a step down. A righteous man would certainly be, we would say, complete. So a good man would be some faults, but generally good. And in verse 8, there's sinners. But God is willing to love us, not because we're righteous men or good men, but because we're sinners. And when you think about that, someone who's deemed righteous, they're righteous in both their their mind and their actions. But We've sort of brought ourselves into a position that we're sinners through and through, and that's what makes this love of God so deep, and it's good to comprehend what his love is, because it's at that point that Christ died for us. You can't think of anyone who would actually 
lay down their life for someone who was through and through a sinner. And there's only one man who would have done that. That would have mm-hmm. been Christ. Mm-hmm. So when we think about ourselves being enemies, it's good that God has loved us because it gives us a hope. Now, when we think about enemies of God, there's a good chance it's because we're actually friends with the world. Ah, yeah. So it's sort of like uh, if one is true, then the other must be true. And James mentions this. It's a very well-known verse, and this is in James 4, verse 4. He said to those that he's writing to, some are adulterers, adulteresses, but they should know that friendship of the world is enmity with God. For whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And it's almost like you have two things concurrent at the same time. So if we have selected to be a friend of the world, then we've also, maybe inadvertently or unconsciously, we'll find out eventually, that we become an enemy of God. It says here, you adulterers and adulteresses. Like, Do you think they were literally adulterers? Yeah, there certainly would have been a case for them to be literal, but I don't imagine that all the recipients of James's letter were yeah. adulterers good point. and adulteresses. So there certainly might have been a literal sense, but I would tend to think that James was heightening the idea that they were spiritual adulterers. So they're being spiritually unfaithful, unfaithful. to God. Because adultery is like in marriage, you're unfaithful in your marriage. Yeah. And so it's kind of putting it that way. So if we're trying to live a life in a worldly way, just like I was saying before, like partying and just filling our lives with, you know, movies or whatever it is from a worldly sense could be a myriad of different things. And thinking that we can just go to a church on Sunday and we're going to be all right with God. (laughs) Uh, James is really saying that that's not right. Because sort of one of our relationship status that we have in the New Testament is we're married to Christ. Yeah. The believers are married to Christ. So when we then engage in this other relationship, trying to become a friend of the world and the various activities that we can get engaged in, then we're being unfaithful to our bridegroom. So rather than be married to Christ, we've chosen to marry ourselves to the world. Right. And God says, if you choose to do that, then you've now become my enemy. Right. That's what James is saying here. Yeah. And he's writing to believers, right? He's not oh, yeah. writing to people who are just don't know Christ or anything like this. These are people who have come in. Yep. Yeah. And they're, they're slipping. They're they're erring in, in these ways. So it's, it's a real exhortation for all of us to be aware. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, this friendship with the world like we were talking about, it starts in the mind. It starts in our, our thinking. And that's really what God is concerned about. There's a passage in Colossians chapter 1. We're going to... Just look at this verse and kind of come back to it a little bit later. This is again written by Paul, and it's very similar to the Romans passage that we were reading. And it's in Colossians 1 and verse 21, where it says, And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. I'm reading from the ESV. It says, you were alienated and hostile in mind. You're reading from the King James, right, Jesse? What does it say there? In the verse 21? Yeah. Alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yeah. So it's enemies or hostile. 
is that same idea right there. But he puts that little qualifier on there. It's in mind, doing evil deeds. So here's the important part, because all our deeds start from our thinking. They start from our minds, and then they flow out from there, right? So God is concerned about the basis of all our deeds and where that's coming from. That's been a problem for a long time. We go back in the, the whole history of the Bible is about this war in the mind, this enmity that's going on between us thinking after worldly things or fleshly things versus the thinking that is is from God. Yeah, and this verse actually has a good reference back to really the first sin. When Adam and Eve had sinned, it says their eyes were opened. Oh, yeah. So they had performed some act and their minds were inextricably affected by that. And that's important to think about, particularly here in Colossians 1, verse 21, that our mind is affected by our actions. You can't escape it. So the engagements that we get into, perhaps even the things we consume, those will, those wicked works styled here in verse 21 will affect our mind. So you're saying it happens the other way around too. I was saying our minds affect our deeds, Mm -hmm. but our deeds affect our mind. It's almost like like a vicious cycle. A cycle. (laughs) Yeah. A circle. Yeah. Yeah. And, (laughs) you know, the businesses of the world are trying to find something of service or product that it's a cycle. Yeah. That the consumer will keep coming back to either purchase or engage. Well, the mind is just as crafty because if you think something or then lead it to an action, then that action will come back into your mind. And then it's almost like it's a repetitive process. That's very dangerous. Yeah. Now, it could be very positive if we focus on spiritual things. Right. And promoting spiritual thinking and spiritual actions, which is maybe a good uh, segue into coming back to that Romans 8 and dealing with what kind of mind are we going to cultivate? Because if the idea that we have is to be reconciled to God, well, that is going to come about based on perhaps the mind that we endeavor to cultivate. And I think cultivate is a good word because it takes time and it takes a concerted effort. And just to sort of emphasize this idea, in Romans 8, Paul speaks a few verses here, and here's what verse 5 says of Romans 8. It says, They that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. And that has the idea, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So because the carnal mind is enmity against God, it is not subject to the law of God and neither can be. And this is sort of good news for us because it gives us the sort of sovereignty to select which mind we're going to cultivate because there in verse 5, we can choose to set our minds on things that are fleshly or things that are spiritual. There's that idea again of enemies in verse 7, right? The ESV says, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. So there's that whole aspect again. We can set our minds on either the flesh or the spirit. We have a choice, and there's a biological basis for our brains, right? We're wired a certain way. But we know that 
our brains can be rewired. We work on the thinking of our minds. It can redirect those paths. And that's what we have through Jesus Christ, right? That's what the Word of God is really powerful, I think, enough to rewire our brains <laughs> correctly the way that God wants us to think. And that's the power of Christ's sacrifice. When we associate with that, we're saying, I want to be like Christ. I want to have the mind of Christ. And God will bless that when we set our affections on those kind of things. Yeah, and it's good to think ahead of the times that we're going to be pressed to uh, entertain either the fleshly mind or the spiritual mind. And here's a little simple analogy. You know, we all drive cars, typically, and in prob- probably most of the world, <laughs> we have uh, you know green, yellow, and and red. But when we see yellow lights, we can train our mind to proceed with caution, maybe mm-hmm. err on the side of slowing down and uh, waiting for the next green. Or we can train our minds to hit the accelerator <laughs> and try yeah. and uh, and get through. And sometimes that yellow turns to a red. But th- the thing that happens is that will condition us, the result of that decision will condition us for future results. So to sort of finish the analogy, if you condition yourselves to be careful and safe and considerate, uh, you'll stop and you'll just have to wait, you know, the 30 seconds or whatever it is for the next green. But if you condition yourself to speed up and go through the yellow light and it turns red, you won't get hit every time, right? You won't get into a collision every time. But you will eventually. Right, yeah. You know, the law of, of Living probability on will say dangerous. that you'll probably end up in a collision. Yeah. So the immediate feedback will say, well, nothing's happened. There's not a hostile, you know, situation that I've created. Well, one day there might be. Yeah. Based on our conditioning. And that's a simple analogy using just a simple traffic light. Well, I think it's there in verse 6 when it says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. That's what it eventually leads to, because the wages of sin is death. But he contrasts that, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. There's two things there. Life is that eternal life that will be granted to us in the resurrection at the last days. But that peace is something that we can have now. That's what we're talking about, right? So this whole aspect of Our minds are at enmity, and we need to have our minds rewired by the Word of God. It leads to this reconciliation with God, and that's the aspect where we can find true peace. There's a passage in Isaiah 26, verse 3. It's a lovely passage. I'll just throw that in here real quick. It says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And so the way to find that peace is to stay our minds on the things of God and to trust in God that he will guide us through our life and take care of us. So really, when the Bible talks about this reconciliation, you might have heard the word atonement, right, is another way to put it. But I think this this word reconciliation in the English is really a better word for it because it's talking about two parties making peace with one another, that they've been at enmity and they've made peace. But like you said, it's not God's fault. It's our fault. Mm -hmm. He's reached out the peace treaty to us, and it's up to us to sign and to 
live according to that peace treaty. So if we go back to that Colossians passage where it talked about us being alienated and hostile in mind, it's the same concept there about finding reconciliation with God that brings the true peace that we are looking for. So getting back to Colossians chapter 1, in verse 20 it says, And God, who through him, that is through Jesus, he was to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. And here's the terrific thing. It says, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That's before God. So Jesus Christ is going to present us, especially at the last days of the judgment, if we are faithful. And that's what the next verse says in verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith. So there's a qualifier there, right? If we're living this life of faith, if we're staying our mind in him, then we can find forgiveness and we can find this peace with God. And Jesus Christ is going to present us faultless before the glory of God. That's an amazing promise. Oh, it certainly is an amazing promise. And that verse 20, when we come into words like these, reconcile and bringing into favor or bringing Mm. a state of harmony, it is so natural in ourselves that we don't want to be in a hostile situation, particularly as it relates to relationships generally. You don't want to be out of favor. You want to live harmoniously. unless maybe your occupation is to not live harmoniously, and there are various <laughs> occupations like that. But it is a part of sort of the human mind to think you want this. So then something must be pulling us, which really is what the world is good at, to call us in friendship and say, come be my friend. Mm. And you almost feel like you're in harmony because you're in a friendship. Well, unfortunately, it's with the world. And you're sort of discounting the things that God is offering and which we should continue in because they'll have a good reward. So sometimes we have to just think, have a sort of a contemplative period and think, is this a relationship which is going to bring about a good end? And obviously it's not going to be if we just follow ourselves with the world. I don't know if you wanted to go to Ephesians 2, But there is this idea of a separation. It's a very fascinating separation, and archaeological studies have found remnants of this particular separation. And Paul is certainly speaking about this, and here's what he says in Ephesians 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he, Christ, is our peace who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. And um, Mm -hmm. this middle wall actually has a name. And at the time of the temple in Jerusalem, it was called the Soreg, S-O-R-E-G, the Soreg. And if you were a Gentile, you couldn't go past this Soreg. It was only about five feet high. Well, you could, but you'd die. You could, <laughs> but on the inscription of the Soreg stone is whoever is caught is responsible for his ensuing death. Mm. 
So as you say, yes, you could, <laughs> but the outcome <laughs> the was, was awful. Yeah. yeah, the outcome was final. But what this meant, and it's not to say this was a good thing, but no. what this meant is that if you're a Gentile and you wanted to come into the inner sanctums of the temple, you couldn't because you had this middle wall. So to kind of bring it back, how can you have peace with that? How can you have sort of this oneness? You can't. You can't have that at all. But what Christ has done in verse 15, continuing in Ephesians 2, Christ has abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. And that's this beautiful harmony of God as he has extended this gift of love to anyone right. to have that peace. So this hostility was really the, the law, the law of Moses, I think was relating here? I would imagine so, because certainly this is temple language. This is dealing with all that the temple was built on. So then part of the sacrifice of Christ was the doing away of the law of Moses and introducing that it is now by faith. It's not by works. Mm -hmm. Well, it's always by faith, right? Just this understanding and to be able to reconcile both Gentile and Jew in the same faith was a tremendous thing in the in the first century. And that's what he's talking about here, doing away with this enmity between the, the two, making one new man in Christ Jesus, thereby having peace. Yeah, and peace not only with God, with Christ, but peace with one another yeah. as a community. Yes. Where we know this, that our fellowship is not confined to our relationship with our Father in heaven and his Son, but it's with one another. So now it just sort of takes on another layer that making this peace and the sacrifice of Christ goes even further. Well, maybe at this point, as we move along here, we let's just come back full circle. Let's go back to Romans chapter 5 and just look at this chapter again. Really, it's the whole chapter. We don't have time to read it. But if you read verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's this justification through faith we were talking about in our last podcast. It really brings us true peace with God. So just reading again verses 10 and 11, it says, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So there's the way to find true peace is to be reconciled with God. And it's something we can have now, that we can discover now. It says we have received that reconciliation. God set it all up. It's just ours for the taking. And so this true peace of God, it's not some sort of like inner workings in your mind, meditation, or you know, going out to nature, those kind of things. It's just this knowledge and this faith that you are reconciled to God, that God has forgiven your sins, and that he is working with you through the Lord Jesus Christ, and that you're no longer at enmity with him, you're at peace with God. You're working together. How would you define this true peace of God, Jesse? What's your thoughts on it? Well, when you think about what we have in the present and what we look forward to in the future, because as you mentioned, we have been reconciled. We have our sins forgiven. Yeah. That's in the present. And we look forward to 
being saved in the sense of putting on immortality and receiving the gift of eternal life. Yeah. So it's not just something that's intangible. It's somewhere in the future. It's right now. If you really believe that you've been reconciled to God, taken up the mind of the Spirit and all that entails, then you should have a sense that presently you should be at peace with God because he says, I'm willing for you to be at peace with me yeah. and to lay up for you in the future a time when you will be putting on immortality. And I couldn't think of a maybe a better verse than something that's mentioned in Philippians. Paul says in Philippians 4 and verse 7, he says, There's a peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And that word keep, it means to guard. So this peace is a humble confidence that the promise that God has said, that I have forgiven you, that we should wholeheartedly believe it and we should guard that. Mm -hmm. We shouldn't allow our minds to think, well, God says he's forgiven me, but he really hasn't, Mm, right? Because that's sort of a self-defeating mindset. But we should have this humble confidence that when God says he's forgiven us, he has, and we should guard that because it has a good promise coming in the future when the kingdom comes. Maybe that's a very important point. It doesn't mean that we're not going to sin. Sure. We still sin, but it means that we're not setting our mind on the things of the flesh. We're not doing that. We're setting our minds on the things of the spirit, but we still sin. But when we're in that state of being reconciled to God, we have an advocate with the Father. We have this avenue of prayer that's been opened up to us to come before the Father and ask for forgiveness and to fully receive that and believe that we have, uh, that our prayers have been answered in that way, right? So maybe wrapping this up, we kind of have to assess our life and where's our thinking at? Is our mind set on the things of the world or the flesh? Or they tend to go towards the things of the Word of God, towards the Spirit, And if you're in the state of setting your mind on the flesh, God is calling you to repent from your sins. That's the first step, right? To be able to repent and then to be baptized, which represents your association with Christ, with his, with his sacrifice, with his death and resurrection. That's what he expects of us. And that's the start then. I'd say just the start of this relationship with God where you are now reconciled with him. You have found peace, but As it said in that Colossians passage, if you continue in the faith. So it's being able to walk in the Spirit, being able to continue to walk in our lives. We stumble and fall sometimes, but it's the ability then to have God pick us up again and set us off to keep walking towards his kingdom. That's where true peace comes from. So true. <laughs> Couldn't have said it much better myself. So great. Why try? <laughs> well, thanks again. I really enjoyed the conversation and appreciate your your insights and your thoughts there. And I know it's been helpful for me. <laughs> Hopefully, it's helpful for you, the, the listener, as well. So, yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Good. Jesse. Thanks, Tim. If you like the podcast, please take just a little bit of time and rate us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you see stars. I love seeing stars. Five stars, especially. <laughs> little things like this can be a big boost for the spreading these essential Bible studies. And what should I do if I just have a question or a comment? 
Well, you can just go to our website at www.essentialbiblestudies.org. And on the first page, just go all the way down to the bottom to the contact form. Put your question or comment there. Hit the send button. And we'd love to hear from you. You know what would be even better? What? Every Tuesday night, we meet online, actually, for a Zoom Bible study. Now, I know a lot of people don't like Zoom, but we got it going on Tuesday nights. It's actually pretty nice. You can just come and say hi. It's an informal group discussion format where everybody is encouraged to ask questions, share their perspectives on the scriptures. I think you'll really like it. It happens every Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's like New York, Toronto time zone. And to get the Zoom meeting link, you got to go again to our website at www.essentialbiblestudies.org. And there's a form for you to fill out there and send me your email, and I will send you the link. The Essential Bible Studies podcast is sponsored by the Book Road Christadelphian Ecclesia, located in the beautiful countryside of Ancaster, Ontario, Canada. Until we meet again, dear friends, I pray to God that you may grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.